Well, welcome everyone. Today we have Emily Perrin, who has quite the resume of experience. She is a former collegiate soccer player. Um, you coached as well in college. Um, you have a master's degree from Drexel in sports management. You're about to pursue your second master's in social work. Um, and through your whole journey, you've now become an entrepreneur in which you're running a wellness and performance business. Um, and I know you have 100% athlete where you work on mental skills with athletes. Um, but before we kind of get into all of that and where you are currently, I think it makes sense to kind of go back a little bit. So um, obviously you were a collegiate athlete and you experienced that fourth, those fourth year jitters of kind of like, what do I want to do with my life? What's the next step? I'm sure there's a lot of people that are in that position now and frankly are in an even tougher boat, not having as much opportunity in this moment. Can you kind of talk about um, that decision-making period for you and what made you pursue your next step after college? Yeah, I mean, goodness. Um, you know, I kind of look back and I laugh because, you know, I think I was definitely the kind of quintessential case of, you know, I have no idea what I want to do. Um, and I think I'm going to try and stall as long as I can um, <laughs> to really figure it out. And I think that is, um, you know, I, I think that's a lot of kids. And I think there's a couple factors that really play into this. So one is, you know, being a collegiate athlete is, um, it is one, it's, it's a privilege, right? Um, two, it is an experience unlike, um, anything in the world. You know, I think that, um, you know, something a lot of collegiate athletes experience is kind of this, um, you know, potential stigma that um, within their university that they're really only there to play a sport, right? They're, they're a jock, right? They're, they're not doing anything other than, you know, competing and training. And, you know, I think that is something that without thinking about it or kind of really, um, you know, bring it to the forefront, I think it's in the back of every athlete's mind. And I think it is something that really affects our um, athletic community and our athletic culture. And I think what that does inherently, and it has done over time is, you know, in turn, I think it really, um, I think it limits us. And I think what we kind of take on is this idea that, well, I can't pursue X, Y, and Z because I'm an athlete or, mm, I, you know, I, I'm not sure I actually really have the time to take that bio lab because, you know, one, maybe I'm afraid, but also, you know, yeah, I am here to play my sport and that's really important too. And so one, I think this is something that goes far beyond me, but something that, you know, as an athletic culture and community and kind of within each, you know, university, and I realize there's a, there's a vast difference in resources of what um, colleges actually have, but, you know, we have really got to start giving our athletes more help in terms of how do we transition? Um, you know, what are we thinking about our career? And, you know, I remember, and this is nothing and no knock at UVA because I wouldn't trade getting, um, you know, one playing for Steve and, you know, playing soccer there or, you know, getting an education from UVA. But, you know, I remember our kind of like career services just being very like, you know, let's put a resume together. And that's just, that's not enough, right? Like we, we have to be, we have to be brainstorming and we have to be believing in ourselves and we have to be doing the research. And, you know, what I'll say is that, you know, that's really hard as 
Um, just a fourth year in general, I think that provokes a lot of anxiety across the board for a college kid. But then put someone that's playing a sport and having basically already a full-time job, right? Um, so give them that additional pressure. And it's a lot. And so one, I think we need to, uh, we, we got to help our athletes out. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. But what I will also say is that, you know, I, I just didn't, I didn't know really what I wanted to be doing with my life. And, you know, I had a very, I had a generic, you know, psych undergrad degree and I had no idea what I could do with it, what my passions were. Um, and so, you know, my kind of thinking was, look, you know, I always have loved coaching. You know, I grew up, um, you know, with a dad who was a division one college basketball coach. Right. I mean, from the time that I was born, um, you know, I, I was born in, in U hall. Um, and so <laughs> all, all I knew was coaching. Right. And so, um, you know, I kind of took this route of, well, all right, you know, I, I can only know what I know. Right. So let's try it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I went straight into coaching. Um, and that was kind of, you know, my way of really figuring out, um, A, what I don't want to do and B, what is my passion. And so the, the kind of where I'll kind of wrap this up is, you know, a lot of this process and kind of figuring out where you are going to end up and what you end up doing is figuring out what you don't want to do. Um, and I don't think people tell you that, you know, it is, um, you know, it's really important to know what you don't want to do and know what you know about yourself. You know, I knew that I was never going to be someone that could sit at a desk at a computer from nine to five. That just was never going to be me. That's not my personality. That is not what makes, you know, kind of fuels my fire. And so I had to figure out really quickly, you know, the things that I wanted to cross off and never do. And then, you know what, it's a, it, for me, it was a lot of trial and error and just kind of figuring out, you know, what, what are the things that fuel my fire and what are the things I'm really passionate about? And then how do I, you know, make a career for myself? And what I'll say is that as a female, um, that's even harder, you know, um, and I, you know, I'm sure we'll get into kind of entrepreneurship and all that, but, um, you know, I, what I will say is I think, you know, at the age of 29 and kind of just in the last two years, I've really been on this kind of relentless pursuit to, um, you know, really transition a passion into a profession, um, which is extremely hard. It's extremely hard for, you know, a group of people, but it is extremely hard for an individual. Um, and it's really hard for a female. Um, so yeah, that's, um, you know, I hope I answered your question there. <laughs> you know, you did. Um, and I think you bring up a good point about, uh, the trial and error aspects of being early in your career, especially in your twenties. I don't think, I think I'm in that boat as well. Mm -hmm. Um, being a few years back and, um, I'm sure you experienced a lot with athletics, but as a collegiate athlete, or even just the pressure of being a college student, I think perfection is constantly put in your face. And so feeling like you have that fear of, you know, failing in a sense, it's always like, you feel like you need to have the answers. Totally. Um, and the point about not like knowing what you don't want to do, it's like, you don't know that unless you try. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say people leave college and shoot for the stars and think they're going to have this dream job, but I do think they think, okay, if I have to pick an industry that I'm going to stay in. Uh -huh. And I think what's nice now is people are kind of trying new things and, and maybe pivoting at different points. So 
you get into coaching um, and clearly that kind of gave you clarity as to what aspect of sports and wellness that you wanted to be a part of. What kind of gave you the confidence then to transition out of coaching um, and pursue more of this entrepreneurship career that you're on now? I know it didn't just start as you starting your own business, but what kind of transitioned you out of coaching? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, um, you know, I was coaching in the Ivy League. I was at the University of Pennsylvania um, for three years. And I mean, gosh, you, you, you know, as a kid, basically, you know, I got that job as a kid, right? Um, and you, you couldn't ask for a, a better college university to, to start your coaching career at. You know, Penn is one of the best institutions in the nation. Um, and you know, the Ivy league is, is an interesting in terms of sport. It's an, um, you get a, a different type of kid. Um, you know, you get a, a kid that is, you know, very much, um, you know, highly competitive in both, uh, sport and academics. Right. And so, you know, you take what is a kind of, you know, if there is such a thing, a normal division one college playing experience, but then you take literally that same pressure intensity um, and you apply it to the academic setting. And it's just a different, it is a different ball league and you get different kids. And so it was really in that time that I realized, holy cow, so much of coaching and you know this experience um you know has to do for me has to do with the people um you know so little of it uh, was it the x's and the o's um and you know i got to year three and i just was like you know i'll, I'll always love soccer for sure but this is this is morphing that is this is not about the x's and the o's and the winning games and you know I feel like if I were to continue to have a career in coaching, I'd really have to have that piece, right? I mean, the ultimate goal at the end of the day, when you're a head coach or an assistant coach, or you're on a coaching staff is you got to win games. That's how you keep your job. It's as simple as that. Right. And I just, my heart was not, was not in that. It was in the, the, the people and these kids and how do we get these kids to be the best that they can be and be living lives that are their best both on and off the field. Right. So it wasn't that I didn't care about their on, on field performance. I did, but I wanted a more, I wanted to be working with them in a more holistic approach. And so kind of twofold, I was doing my master's work at Drexel and that is really where, um, you know, I was doing a master's in sports management because I was thinking, okay, I'm going to, you know, live out my life as a college coach like my dad, and then I'll go into higher admin, right? And I realized quickly that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I worked with my thesis professor and I said, look, I'm going to be really honest with you. I've had like a total 180 of where my life is and what I want to do. Can I, can I start to do kind of a, a case analysis for my thesis on mental health programming? Okay. So I wasn't looking at, at, you know, anything, you know, nitty gritty with mental health, but I was looking at the programming that the NCAA was doing. Okay. So I, you know, I started to research, okay. You know, what is the NCAA doing? What are they doing? Division one, division two, division three, what are kind of these bigger schools in the PAC 12, the ACC, the big 10, what are these guys doing in terms of helping their student athletes out? Um, and so I, I started to get a really good understanding of what this landscape is doing. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of um, 
change that because change that phrase because it's really you know what little we're doing right um you know if i'm being honest okay and so you know the ncaa has kind of taken a stand that you know they've kind of put out this like website and this manual of kind of like overarching kind of like things to keep in mind but they're not taking a stand in terms of you know kind of controlling this at the higher level and one of the reasons for that is because there is such a uh, vast difference in resources across um, even division one schools right and so i get that however um you know i also see a lot of schools that are in a position themselves to be doing more and it's just not done. Um, and so, you know, that really got me kind of amped up and just kind of thinking like, man, I, you know, my passion is to really, really change this, really address this. And kind of, you know, at, at the same time I left college coaching. So I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to kind of break the ties. I'm going to re really do this. Um, you know, and I had a, you know, I had a quarter life crisis. I was, um, you know, mid twenties and I had, you know, a, a ton of fear and a ton of anxiety. And, you know, to be fair, this had been building, um, you know, I have a long history of, you know, chronic anxiety and panic attacks. Um, and, you know, at the age of, um, you know, 27, I landed myself in inpatient psychiatric care, um, and just had a total meltdown. And, um, so, you know, kind of through that, I really never lost sight of this vision and, and where I wanted to go and kind of the end goal. Right. Um, but that being said, I had to put my health first and my recovery. And so part of my journey in that was, uh, hitting a yoga mat and mindfulness and meditation. And so I really launched myself into understanding these modalities and really living my life by them. Um, and you know, I, I completely, uh, turned my life around. And so then, you know, about, uh, yeah, I'd say kind of about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I really, was like, you know what, this is it. You know, this is how, how do I now, all right, I've got this end goal in sight of really like starting to kind of change the face of how we as an athletic culture tackle mental health and talk about mental health. Cause I think education is a big piece of it. Um, you know, it is the way that I'm going to do this is mindfulness and meditation and yoga. Okay. And so that's when I really started kind of, um, you know, I was already teaching yoga at the time. And then I started studying with my mindfulness and meditation teacher, Sean Fargo, who does some stuff with the Golden State Warriors. Um, and so kind of the, the crazy roundabout here is that obviously the Golden State Warriors mindfulness is a, a pillar of theirs, right? Steve Kerr was on the Chicago Bulls with, you know, Phil Jackson and mm -hmm. Michael Jordan. And so he's, he understands the, the power of this stuff, right? If, if anybody that's listening to this is watching The Last Dance, you'll know, right? And so I then really got interested in how do I put these three together? I mean, it's one thing to like understand each of these entities, but how do I put them together to really program for athletic departments, head coaches, athletes, right? And um, yeah, so I, I just kind of really... Um, I, honestly, I went for it. I took a really just kind of massive dive. Um, I formed my own LLC. Um, and you know, what I'll say is that, um, you know, I'm in an amazing area for this to kind of take form, right? I'm in the Raleigh Durham area. You've got 
three major ACC schools. You've got one of the largest soccer clubs in the nation, and you've got the arguably best women's soccer team in the world, right? The, the North Carolina Courage. And so, you know, by way of both connections and my background and just being, um, you know, freaking relentless. Um, I just started putting my name out and saying, look, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've studied. This is what I see. This is what I know. Let me, you know, can I come to a session for you? Can I, um, you know, show you what I'm doing? Can I work with some of your athletes? Um, and you know, by the grace of God, um, you know, I'm now working with seven teams at Duke. I've got a few at NC state still doing stuff with the North Carolina courage and all of their, um, well, what was the development Academy, but who knows what's going to happen there. Right. So kind of their top tier, uh, girls teams. Um, and then Duke's kind of athletic staff as well. So, you know, what we're seeing is, and, and you made a point about COVID earlier, you know, this is a really, um, this is a really crucial time. Um, what we're seeing is that, you know, we, there, there's a ton of uncertainty and what we know about the brain and kind of neuroscience and, um, you know, us as humans, as a species, we don't like uncertainty. Um, we don't do well with it. Um, the, the brain, um, at times can kind of, you know, with uncertainty, we, we kind of tend to put ourselves in this like high alert state, right. Which tends to breed stress and angst and worrying. And so, you know, what we're finding is that I think, you know, yeah, we're really worried about student athletes right now, but we're not just worried about student athletes. We're worried about the people that are supposed to take care of them as well. And so, um, you know, I think this is a really unique time for kids to be really developing this type of stuff. Um, and, practicing it right because one you got nowhere to go i mean things things are not open um you know i think we're starting to kind of hit this reopening phase but we don't know what's going to happen um you know things could open for three weeks and then close again we have no idea um and so what i'm you know my message in kind of this time is that this is actually the perfect time to really start to kind of dive into your own practice with this stuff and building you know a big piece of this work is how do we build resiliency you know, what we know about resiliency, and, and if anybody follows a guy, Rick Hansen, um, he's a, a, a neuroscientist and he really, um, his thing is, how do we become more resilient? Resiliency is a muscle that we can build. And that's a big factor for uh, student athletes right now. Um, and, and I think not just college athletes, but any athlete, right? Um, you know, being resilient is a quality that we all resonate with. You know, how do you how do you grind through tough stuff when, you know, it's the 91st minute of a game and you're going into overtime and you're tired, but you know what, we got to get a win, right? That's, that's being resilient. Okay. We all understand as elite athletes, what that is. Um, but now we've got to start to take that and apply it to our, our mental well-being in our everyday life, right? Absolutely. Because that's really what builds the foundation. You know, I, I, I use this metaphor of like a house, right? You can't build the second floor of your house, right? Which is generally like, I, I equate like the second floor in the attic to like, you know, the things that allow us to be elite performers. Okay. You can't start to like enhance that stuff unless you have a foundation and a foundation built on 
really strong, um, you know, values and tools and skills that allow you to kind of manage uh, what life throws at you. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you for sharing your own experience. I think it's women like you and people in this practice that are changing the stigma by being willing to share their story. I think um, it's nice to see a change um, in the mental space, especially on the male athlete side as, you know, frankly, in full honesty, you know, weakness is maybe seen as a negative in certain aspects on the mental side, even though that's ridiculous in my mind, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think you bring up a really good point about resiliency as a practice. Cause I think oftentimes as an athlete or even anybody, like when you think of your physical skills, you're like, if I practice enough, I probably can improve them. Um, but I think it's important to highlight that mental things that you're going through with practice, things can get better. You can reduce your anxiety and you can make yourself feel better. Um, can you kind of talk about, because people that don't know this, you, you work with um, a lot of the males teams at Duke um, as well as females teams. And, and can you talk a little bit about kind of how you tackle that stigma? Cause I'm sure you deal with athletes sometimes that are reluctant at first, yeah. right? Um, maybe came from a home where this is not really accepted um, or really never addressed the mental side of what they're doing. Um, and I think it's something that could be helpful for any listener, regardless of athlete or not, that are maybe struggling through something mental, but don't know how to kind of make that first step into practicing improvement. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I am a massive believer um, that uh, our, our world, okay, and I'll say world, because I really yeah. believe it's, it's not just it's not just in the US and it's not just this culture. Our world is, um, whether we know it or not, I think we are craving authenticity. I think we are craving genuine, real connection and conversation. And I think we are craving vulnerability. Um, and the, the reason for that is because so much of our culture is the absolute opposite. And I think that breeds the issue, right? And so what I believe in and who, I mean, who knows if it's right, uh, you know, I don't know, but it's what I believe. I believe that if, if I am vulnerable and I share the, the deepest and the, the darkest of, you know, my own experience, um, I believe that that opens, uh, that opens the door. Um, and, and I, I believe, and you know, I think there are certain things, and, and people may say, "Well, you know, you don't, you don't need to share it all." And I, I believe in that, right? But my, there are pieces of our stories that, in sharing, okay, that is what connects us, right? You know, we we cannot feel connected, we cannot feel safe, okay, until we we understand each other. All right. And so my, my biggest thing, and one of the first things that I explain when I walk in the door, whether it's a female team or a male team is look, guys, I'm not, I'm not teaching this. I am not coaching you through these things because I, you know, simply know the science of it. And I, I think it's good. No, 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 no. It has literally changed who I am as a being, right? And so I've been there. And, and the ability to say I've been there and to share your experience, what I have found is it opens the door. And, and kids, kids may not resonate with all of it, but they resonate with pieces of it. And that is enough to 
say, okay, she gets it. She gets me. Right. And I think that is where, um, you know, a lot of head coaches can't always go. Assistant coaches can't always go. Strength coaches can't always go. Right. Because there's, there's a line, right. Whereas in the work I do, and I think this is why head coaches and staffs feel value in bringing me in, right. As opposed to just running this stuff themselves is because I can't, I can go there and I can say, look, guys, you know, I have, you know, been literally in, in the pits of, you know, the scariest inpatient psychiatric facility because of my anxiety. Right. And so, you know, I, I go to a place that, you know, not everyone can go with athletes. Um, and you know, I'm, I don't say that as in to like toot my own horn. No, not at all. I, I just simply know that, that is, that is appreciated. And I think that is the step into, you know, their kind of their doorway that they need in order to be able to say, okay, I'll try this. Okay. You know what? I'll open my ears. All right. Okay. I'll listen to what you have to say. Okay. I, you know what, actually I'll try doing this breath exercise or, you know what, maybe it doesn't resonate with them right now, but maybe when, you know, they're 45 minutes into their game and their coach is screaming at them, they, you know, the light bulb hits and they remember, ah, this is what Emily's talking about. Right. And so I, I believe that, you know, vulnerability and authenticity and being honest is what opens the door here. Okay. Um, you know, what I will say is that I think athletes, both genders, male and female, um, so often are simply looking for someone to, um, see them and be with them. Um, you know, I have had, um, you know, several experiences in, in my two years where, you know, just sitting in the same room with an athlete is enough. Right. Um, you know, I think that does dividends. If someone is willing to simply sit with you, whether they're even saying something or not, right, that means that they care and, and they're showing up for you. And, you know, I think there's a lot of athletes in this world, even into the professional ranks, that they need that. Um, and, and I think, again, that is that, that piece of, you know, connection. Um, and I think so much of mental health and the mind and, um, you know, keeping ourselves healthy, um, is, you know, there is a connection piece to this and there is this kind of, um, piece that we have to start, um, we have to start a talking about, we also have to start practicing ourselves is that we're not alone in this. Um, you know, I think we have this misconception that, you know, mental health and mental well-being and mental skills is something that I have to do alone. Or, you know, if I talk about or if, you know, someone else knows, then exactly what you said, I'm weak or, you know, I'm not capable or coach is going to think twice. And, you know, the reality is, is that when we open our mouths and we have connection through this and we talk about this, we get stronger. We get stronger as individuals. We get stronger as teammates. Um, we get stronger as teams. And so, you know, what I have found is that 
it's really freaking cool to sit in a room with an entire team of 30, 40, almost 50 athletes and have discussions and have people kind of look across the room and be like, holy cow, I'm not alone. You know, like I'm not the only one that thinks that or like, holy cow, like that's a really great point. Or like, huh, he just said something that I can use, you know, it's connection. And it's, um, you know, and that in itself is teamwork, right? And so, you know, I think we definitely, I'm a huge advocate of, we have to start to move away from, you know, this, this isolation piece. And I think, you know, one, this is very hard right now because we are all isolated, right? Um, you know, but two, I think that that really starts with, um, each of us ourselves being really honest and being vulnerable and willing to share. Right. And so I knew that if I wanted to build a business that way, that it had to start with me. And so, yeah, right right after, I would say probably like two months after I got released from inpatient psychiatric care, I wrote about my experience. Um, and, and I published it. Um, it's on my blog. Uh, you know, I refer many, if, if, you know, I have an athlete or someone that, is kind of interested in my story, I send it to them. I mean, you could literally Google it. It's, it's, you know, it's public knowledge. Um, and, and that doesn't bother me at all because I, I know that I'm not the only one. I also know that I'm not going to, you know, this isn't going to end with me. Right. Yeah. Um, and so sadly, um, and so again, I, I really, if I was going to build my business and it was going to be successful and it was going to reach as many people or my work was going to reach as many people as I wanted it to, it had to start with me and I had to be brave um, and I had to be authentic and I had to put it out there. So I I think that's where it all starts. Yeah. I think you bring up a really good point about like relatability and vulnerability being at the forefront of this. And um, in this moment in time, obviously, unfortunately with the passing of Kobe Bryant and people kind of having an insight onto his, you know, mama mentality and the importance of like mentality and mindset in sport, but also just kind of, a lot of what I've been studying lately is these like non-physical measurables because obviously, you know, with an NFL draft and all these things, it's like, you can't just put someone on a line right now and test their, you know, their height or their speed or whatever. It's like, you have to actually sit down and get to know them and understand how they work from a mindset perspective. Um, And I think the nice thing about COVID, which there's very few, obviously it's, it's a very horrible time for a lot of people, but I think one, one aspect that can be positive out of it is, um, you're kind of forced in this position to kind of assess where you are mentally, I think, um, which is for me, I would say it's probably one of the hardest things. I think looking in the mirror and having to look at and, and feel all those emotions when your life is shut down and you can't just go through rhythms and routines and, and escape it is some of the hardest work you'll do in your life. Um, in your, in your professional opinion, what, you know, there's always been this saying, and, and I agree with you from the aspect of not enough work being done at the collegiate level, but it's funny because a lot of what I was preaching growing up was like soccer is, you know, it's 80% mental. And I, and I think I believed it, but now being, you know, older and looking back and being like, wow, if I had just had the confidence back then and looking at things with a totally different perspective, um, I don't know if I really, really believed it at the time. So in your experience, how much does mentality play a piece in the overall picture of what an athlete's doing on a field or in the classroom? Um, and maybe honestly, not even just in athletics, but what people are doing in their careers in life. I think um, we don't realize how much that plays a factor into the success of people. Um, 
and define, oh, right. Define success. I can't, yeah. I, I don't know if that there's a word for that really, but yeah. in what people are pursuing, I should say. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's massive. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, if I were kind of to like, you know, I, I think it's more of like, a. um, yeah, I've never actually really when I when you when I when I hear you say that kind of like the the numbers thing, I actually have never really thought of it in that degree um, because I which I, everyone's individual. So yeah, I, um, that was just know, a saying I remember growing up. What I well. no 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 yeah, and the the whole like Yogi Berra like the game is ninety percent or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, 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 um, yeah. You know what I'll say is that you know I I think of it more scientifically. Um, so I. Um, you know, I did Duke's um, integrative health coaching certification, which is very much geared on the neuroscience of change, right? I'm a, I'm a big neuroscience junkie and I've done a few trainings um, since then. And I read a lot about neuroplasticity and, and kind of um, just a, a lot of how the brain um, works. And so what we know about the brain is that in any given day, roughly 75% of what you think is negative, right? We have a negativity bias. And part of that is how we've had to evolve as a species, right, um, in order to keep us alive. But the problem is we're now in the 21st century and it now backfires, right? And so now put that into an athletic sense uh, or, or setting for, for an elite athlete. And, you know, really what we have to come to terms with is that we've got, you know, we've got a brain that's working against us. And so, um, you know, my whole thing, and I was just doing a, um, a presentation this week for a, a couple of uh, professional lacrosse players, you know, it is, it is a massive imbalance in how we look at our training, right? You know, I, I think, you know, my whole thing is uh, I usually ask players, you know, how many hours do you think in the span of your lifetime to where you are right now, okay, that you've spent on training your body or doing any sort of, you know, um, of the physical work that's needed for your sport, right? And that's, that includes, you know, actual practices with your team or by yourself, any individual work, weight room, athletic training room, right? Recovery, regen, right? Okay. It, people can't even count probably. Yet how many hours have people actually spent training their brain? Okay. And what we know about the brain is that it's plastic. It, it is a muscle. Um, it is the most important muscle slash organ in your body, right? If it, when you have an inefficient brain, you struggle to do everything. And that includes your sport, okay? And so th this imbalance is, gosh, you know, we put such a heavy emphasis on training the body and being physically prepared and tactically prepared and technically prepared in our sport. Yet you're not doing, you cannot do any of that and without your brain. Right. And so we've got to start training our brain and this is not academic. This is not going to class, right? This is actually training the brain. This is mindfulness. Right. This is meditation. Right. Um, and so what we know is that you know, this, that is, that can happen. Okay. What we see in a lot of studies and, and granted, you know, these are, these are relatively new, but the, the data is good so far. We've got to keep going. But, you know, for example, um, you know, we're, we're able to see actual physiological changes in the structure of our brain. If we, if we have a mindfulness practice, if we are meditating. And so for me, it's a no brainer. 
Um, and so my thing right. is that it is crucial. It is just as crucial. And I, I don't actually say that, you know, we need to change anything about the, the physical aspect or, you know, the, the tactical or the technical training. We've just got to add the brain. Um, and Absolutely. so, you know, I, I think a piece of what I do and, and, you know, I think a lot of yoga gets a kind of a mis, you know, construed, you know, really the, the term yoga comes from, you know, Hindu tradition thousands of years ago. And what yoga was, was meditating. It was you sitting in a lotus position, which is that kind of cross-legged position, meditating. That That is what yoga was, right? And so what is, has now become in mainstream society is this, you know, massively hot, crazy athletic practice, right? Which is physically demanding. I mean, 110 degrees in some, some regards, right? And so, you know, what I do and how I use yoga in my business is actually a mindfulness practice. It is a mindfulness exercise. Um, and so it is this, it is the training of connecting the mind to the body. And that is probably one of the best things that athletes could be doing to enhance their mind-body connection, to gain more understanding and awareness of what their brain and body need so that they can actually give themselves that, right? I mean, that, that right. is the epitome of, you know, performance and health. Um, <laughs> and so that is how I use yoga, okay? And it in turn is great for the body. It's a restorative and a regenerative practice, which is amazing for athletes. And I think athletes probably need more of it, but we're training the brain. Um, you know, my, my entire philosophy and kind of business is you got to train your brain. Um, you know, athletes, we have to start training our brains to work for us, not against us. So the mental piece of it is, is massive. It is huge. Yeah. So one last thing I wanted to ask you about is kind of, um, you know, this whole journey you've been on is incredible and, and you're still on it. And I'm sure there are days that are great and low and uh, everything in between, but talk a little bit about, um, just being a female entrepreneur. I think it's fair to say that, um, trends are changing, but there definitely are societal pressures for a woman in her twenties. That's, um, having to sacrifice a lot to really pursue and go all in on this entrepreneurship journey that you're on. Um, kind of talk about what that experience has been for you, any advice you have for somebody that may be doing that at whatever point they are in life, mm -hmm. um, and kind of what your hopes are for the future. Oh, man. So, you know, the first thing is be brave. Um, you know, be brave. It's, um, it is terrifying. <laughs> and I can laugh now because I've done it and I'm still in it and it's still terrifying. Um, you know, it's terrifying. And, and what I'll say is that, you know, you, you know, I remember talking to just various people and, and what I'll say, another thing is, you know, be very, um, you know, let your, for, for the females out there that are thinking about doing this and they want to do this, let, let your passion drive you. Okay. Your, your passion and your purpose, um, when those are clearly aligned and they're fueling your energy, you will go far. Um, and so let those be the, the forefront of what you're doing and how you create your business and never, you know, I believe that when you kind of stray from those and you lose sight of those, that's when things kind of get chaotic. If you stay aligned with those, 
you're, you're going to be golden and your heart comes from, from a good place and your decisions come from a good place. And, and that is how you attract business, right? That is how you attract people that believe in you. Um, you know, there are, what I would say is, you know, at the end of the day, you know yourself better than anyone. Um, and so I think you could get advice and you're going to hear advice from people that one, don't have any business giving it to you. And two, <laughs> um, you know, just have an opinion to have an opinion. And, you know, what I'll say is stay the course. It, it is stay the course and, and know who you are and, and be bold. Um, you know, there's been so many things over the last kind of two years that, you know, I have no idea. I, I didn't get an MBA. I, I mean, geez, I, even there, there are so many pieces of my business that I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. I have no idea, but you know what? I, I, I'm going to stay true to who I am. I'm going to stay true to my mission and my values and what I believe in. And I'm going to freaking go for it. And there's been things that have miserably failed and backfired, but there's also been things that have thrived. And so that's part of being an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, I'll say that, um, you know, there is uh, right now, especially there's a ton of uncertainty. Um, don't be afraid to reach out and, and get resources and get answers. Um, you know, you, you also, um, you know, this is very much aligned with the, the mental health piece where, you know, connection and, you know, not being afraid is, you know, I think a lot of female entrepreneurs get into this and then they, they don't want to ask for help or advice because that inherently makes them look stupid or less than, or, you know, the reality is, is that there's male entrepreneurs that don't know what they're doing either. Um, Absolutely. and so, you know, we got to ask, we got to ask questions and we are just as intelligent. We are just as worthy. We are just as fearless and capable. And so, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a female mastermind. So I'm in a group of about, there's six of us that are, we're all entrepreneurs. Uh, that is, um, you know, that is gold, right? Aligning yourself and finding a community of other female entrepreneurs to support and they support you is freaking awesome. I would highly advise that. Um, but you know, the, the biggest one is be freaking brave, have a goal, have a passion and fight for it. Like there's no tomorrow. Um, because you know what, I'll tell you, Tina, and I'll, I'll be the first one to kind of say, you know, I, I steered away from a set salary Okay. Health insurance, um, you know, able to, you know, fully pay rent and, and everything, uh, for every single month to so much uncertainty and living month to month for a little bit and buying my own insurance. And what I will say is I will never look back. I do not wake up a single day. It's been almost two years. Haven't woken up a single day and thought this, this isn't right. This isn't what I should be doing. I wake up every single day so freaking pumped and loving what I do. And, and I think that is for a female entrepreneur, that is the goal, right? Wake up every single day and have so much joy and gratitude for what you do and what you can bring back to the world. I mean, that I wouldn't trade that for the world. I mean, I will live... Um, you know, I will live in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, in a, you know, a shack, uh, going month to month to do what I do. Um, and I think that's the ultimate goal. Um, and if you stay aligned to your passion and your purpose, you will go so far. That is, that is my message. 
Well, you are for sure brave. And I think that is a very important message for a lot of people, men or women. I think you have to love what you do. And um, I'm glad to see that more people are pivoting away from kind of the standard. I think that was me as well. I worked in insurance and it was paying my bills great, but I had no thrill in what I was doing. And and that made me change my life. But um, one thing I wanted to end on, it's kind of a new thing. And I think part of this community I'm trying to build and also just like pushing the messages of women like yourself is, you know, sharing more women that are like you. So I'm just curious if you could think of someone off the top of your head, what is one woman out there right now? Like who is somebody that's inspiring you that you kind of follow and, and maybe think others could find value in following as well? Ooh, that is I tough. Know. It's um, a loaded one. You know, I, I think, you know, and this is not to be cliche. I think you're, I think you're on the right path. You, um, Tina, um, I, I, I do. I think, I think you're doing great things. I think you, um, you know, you're very much probably where I was two years ago. Right. Um, and so the, the message very much goes back to you. Um, you know, keep, keep going, keep, I mean, take one step after another. Um, oh man. Um, oh gosh. You know, there's many, I feel like. Oh, there's, so, I mean, there's so many. Um, yeah. Sadly, it's like, you know, do you want to know what I want to do right now is to pick up my phone and go to Instagram because I save a lot of like female entrepreneurs that I follow, like their, their tags and stuff. Um, you know, Let me see. Uh, you know, someone who I highly admire um, and just very much kind of like, um, I've met her once. I did kind of a little workshop with her. Her name is Mary Beth LaRue. Um, and she's also in the yoga space, but she does a lot with um, kind of, um, you know, really as a female being embodied in who you are and what you're doing. Um, her work is phenomenal. Um, I, I highly encourage people to, especially female entrepreneurs, check her out. Um, you know, she and actually her, her business partner, Jackie Carr, um, probably people would be more familiar with what's called rock your bliss, um, which is, uh, you know, really just coming into how do we own and come into who we are. Right. Um, I I think their work is phenomenal. Um, I think both of those females do incredible things in the world. Um, and I would highly encourage, um, especially females and males as well, but females to check them out. Well, I will definitely get those links from you and add them in so people can check them out. Um, But thank you so much for your time. There is so much value in what you talked about today. I have my own notes, but I'm sure a lot of people take their own. um, And I really, really appreciate it. Oh my gosh. No, I appreciate you. And thank you so much. I'm I'm excited for what you're doing and, and honored to be part of it.